Hello and welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Alpha podcast. I am joined today by Algie Hall. Uh, Phil's taking a, a well-earned break this week. How are you doing, Algie? Yeah, very well. Thanks, John. Excellent. Now, you are a regular contributor to the Alpha service. You you handle the kind of stock screening and investment trust uh, side of things. So I wanted to talk to you about those today and what you do and what we're seeing. Um, should we, start, should we start with screens? So you do, you do all the stock screening for the magazine um, with the, through the weekly stock screening column. And we wanted to add something to Alpha around screening. So, so, so talk us through what, what we put in place there. Yeah, well, um, I mean, I, I want to be fair to James Norrington, who's the editor of Alpha, who actually, um, I've, I kind of devised the screens in my um, weekly column in the magazine. And um picked a few of them and James actually runs them and does it and produces a bit of commentary on them uh for for alpha but we kind of um cherry picked some of the you know creme de la creme of the of the uh stock screens uh that i cover um on a weekly basis um based around different themes we have one based on momentum and earnings momentum and price momentum which are great complement to each other uh, we, we have one based on what's known as GARP, growth at a reasonable price. So it's um, looking for growth situations which look like they may be undervalued. Um, then we also have a screen that um, looks at uh, reliable dividend payers. And importantly, it's not looking for high yields, which is often um, a really bad idea um, because you just end up buying companies which are cheap for a reason. It's looking for um, companies which look like they're reliable dividend pairs, which can um, really be an indication that a company has a very sound, strong business and that it holds its shareholders in high regard and it's not wasting capital um, by plowing it back into growth projects or acquisitions, which may be slightly dubious. It's kind of returning some of that money to shareholders. And then the final one based on stocks, that we look at is um, trying to identify quality companies, um, which obviously have been um, it, 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 they're, they're a type of um, investment that have done very well over um, a number of years. And that one doesn't look at price at all. It just is just focused on identifying quality mainly. <clears throat> and then there's a fifth screen, which is based on investment trusts. And, um, it's a real uh, passion of mine, this screen. And I started writing a column on it uh, from July last year for Alpha. Um, and the investment trust screen, basically, it's um, based on a very common sense approach because it's um, only focused on two principles, both of which have historically proved to be um, very on, influential on future share price movements. And one is um, valuation and the other is momentum, share price momentum. The investment trust screen, there's, there's, a, there's a lot more commentary around, around that that you write on a monthly basis. Just going back to the stock, the stock screens, um, you, you're also looking at those on a, on a sort of um, a granular basis, market by market. So across the sort of market cap spectrum, as it were. Yeah, we, we, um, we break out uh, opportunities by um, it's, it's basically by in, it's through by screening different index constituents, so um, it does mean we get some crossover with our large cap and small caps. Um, but that um, often small caps are doing um, kind of look more attractive or less attractive on certain metrics just by virtue of the type of companies they are. So it makes sense to separate out the screening process. Also, some of the screens we 
tweak them slightly um, so that uh, some, so for example, um, sm the small, small cap dividend screen is slightly different to the large cap dividend screen because you're looking for kind of different characteristics and you're far more interested in kind of underlying growth and those kind of opportunities with um, small cap dividends and would be the case with large caps. So um, it, we, we think it makes sense to kind of look, look at different areas of the market um, with slightly different screens sometimes. Okay, so, so how, how would you encourage uh, readers of, of your stock screens, whether they be through the magazine or the alpha service, how would you encourage readers to use these screens? What, what is the purpose of them? Well, um, I mean, if, if, if any, anyone who reads the weekly column I do uh, with, uh, without any regularity would probably be bored with the phrase, these um, screens are meant as ideas, the, the results from these screens are meant for, as ideas from, for further research rather than off-the-shelf portfolios, which are, <laughs> I write into pretty much every column nowadays. Um, and that's re really, the, the value of them is to generate ideas which um, may or may not, uh, you know, li live up to, you know, what the screen's trying to look for. And the only way you know whether an idea um, from a screen uh, is living up to you know the objective is by going in and doing more research on that stock. Um, I mean, screen you know screens are a wonderful um, way of uh, you know kind of honing in on ideas which do look promising. They cannot do the whole job for you. So um, I mean, I, I, I always emphasise that they're, they're a source for um, ideas which you may want to add to your you know portfolio. The other thing is um, not being a portfolio in and of themselves. It is incredibly hard for anyone to follow um, a screen process and just commit themselves to um, being entirely rule-based. And the reason for this is that when things go wrong, it just feels like you don't have any control. So um, you're so much more prone to be panicked out of um your rule-based approach at, at times of um, at times of stress than you would if you actually know and understand your holdings, and um, I, I think that's this is something when we talk about research and actually knowing your holdings, it's something which is actually very easily overlooked and that people don't talk about enough. That actually, you know, researching and understanding holdings is about reacting to uh, at moments of stress. It's not about um, you know. Uh, I mean, well, it is it is about, you know, what you actually the decisions you actually made make. Of course, that's important. But um, it's um, it's the decisions that you're going to make in the future that um, are also incredibly important. So, you know, what do I do if my if, if um, the stock that I bought doubles? Um, I mean, obviously, you know, there, there's the, there's the good advice that you should normally run your winners. But um, actually, that, that's a complete generalization. You're only going to know if that applies to your holding if you have a very good understanding of why you bought it in the first place and you've kind of set out your objectives, hopefully on paper, um, what you were expecting at that time. And then, and you know, then you know what to do. Then you'll have a far, or then you'll have a far better chance of making the right decision or the decision that's right for you under those circumstances. And even more so if your stock has um, dropped in value by 50%, let's say, or something, you know, or some kind of very uncomfortable, um, level of drop you, you really need to understand you know what you're holding and why um, i mean we have seen that sort of volatility over the last year you know we've seen you know obviously as coronavirus hit you know lots and lots of 
shares and indices fell quite sharply. We've seen some very strong recoveries since. I mean, you know, that that sort of that that sort of market stress that that people sometimes react badly to is 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 in abundance right now. Um, I mean, what what are you seeing through your stock screens? You know, that's, that's telling you things about the market that that, that perhaps it now is a good time to to be you know very familiar with the stocks you hold and comfortable with why you're holding them. Um, well, I'm, well, I mean, I, I suppose there, there are a few things. I, I just before before I answer that, I just want to give you an anecdote about um, my experience during um, March when the markets were crashing, which was I decided to put together. Actually, it turned out to be very good timing. But um, you know, knowing that when markets crash like this, normally it's an opportunity to buy, put together a stock screen um, based on uh, buying shares which are as cheap as they have ever been, which was just trying to identify shares which have been sold down so hard that they were um, on a level or cheaper than um, where they were during the last crisis, from which everything kind of bounced back in the end. And I was writing this and I was trying to think about it. And I actually found myself in a complete stress head fog, just the markets collapsing around me and feeling this incredible searing pain across my chest. Which I've never experienced before, which I can only attribute to stress. And um, and so I had to write this almost in a state of disengagement, just because I was finding the whole experience so stressful. Um, even though I knew the rational side of my brain had made me write this um write this piece. And um and it was all about overcoming the emotion of um, you know, what the markets were throwing at us. But actually, even in writing it, I was being completely crushed by what was going on. Uh, what was going on in the real world? But fortunately, I did manage to write it, and maybe you know, maybe maybe a few readers kind of um, uh, you know, read it and kind of acted on it. Who knows? But um, I mean, hopefully they did because it was like it, it turned out to be the most wonderful time to you know go go into the market. And um, but it was it kind of felt like the most stressful and awful you know time to do anything because um, of what was going on. Um, in terms of what you're asking about, about what, what I've been seeing recently, um, I suppose one of the interesting things is that kind of like a more traditional value-based approach has been doing extremely well. We're kind of finally seeing um, what uh, people often term a, a dash for trash, which is like the real market that the market thinks the recovery is coming. There was signs of it very early on uh, last year that there was a dash for trash, but it totally petered out. Um, I think that's, you know, that's um, very encouraging in some ways because it suggests that the real economy um, may be due for, you know, a really strong recovery, as a lot of people have been talking about. You know, the, the fact that money in the market's getting behind that is encouraging. Um, it's not exactly backed up by the by the latest economic figures. No, no. I mean, it's, it won't, it won't, I mean, it's, it's all in anticipation. I mean, until, until lockdown. I mean, you know, and they're obviously huge uncertainty. Until lockdown ends, who knows? And um Maybe I mean, you know, and, and what people are hoping for is that there's a huge glut of savings, um, and and also kind of capital um, for companies to invest. Uh, these are the companies which have been doing better, rather than the companies which have really suffered. Uh, there, there's a, there, so there's a there's you know there's a hope that there's a lot that's going to be unleashed. But I mean, in, until it happens, you know, it's, we don't know whether it, you know whether it'll all transpire. But um, you know, you can often, you can uh, you know look to the evidence out there about things like saving savings rate and see there's a really good foundation to the argument and also you can just look down to those 
back to the periods when lockdown did start to ease a bit. And, you know, you can see spending returning quite quickly. So um, I think, you know, there are reasons to be um, optimistic. And I, I mean, also when we're, you know, talking about this kind of resurgence in value that we've seen um, recently, um, you've also got to build in, you know, the particulars of the UK market and what's been happening in the UK recently with, um, especially with the end of um, the um, Brexit, you know, the the Brexit dealings, obviously, you know, Brexit is going to be with us and like, you know, the further trade deals and whatever and the uncertainties, it's going to be with us for years and years and years and years. And if you thought it was all over, it ain't. But, um, but still, the, there's a feel-good factor to the fact that, you know, the main bit, the, you know, the, the big thing everyone was scared about has, you know, has happened. Um, the Brexit deal has been done. And um, then also the UK has been very successful with its um, vaccine rollout, um, despite, you know, getting a lot of things wrong um, prior to that. And that means, you know, maybe we'll be um, coming out of lockdown fairly soon, although obviously, you know, new variants, et cetera, et cetera. There are uncertainties around that also. But um, I, so I, I, think, I do think that's very interesting. And I mean, another interesting thing that I'm noticing from, this, from the screens is that um, they're, they're just, um, they're, they're getting, I think they're getting better results at the moment. Um, a lot of the um, problems I've found with the screens um, over the last few years is that the screens which look for quality in some way, and almost all the screens I run, you know, have it, you know, they, they have to build an element that searches for quality. They've, they've thought they've seen quality, but they've actually see, just seen cyclicals, which have been doing well for a number of years. So often, um, I think uh, Phil Oakley often talks about quality traps. So, um, and there are lots out there where at the end of a bull market, especially because, you know, these companies will appear to be, you know, really high margin, really high returns on capital employed, consistent growth. You know, they look great. They're just cyclicals in disguise. Often, like they often have huge fixed costs, which mean they um they see their profits tumble when sales go down, um, which is something people call operational gearing. Um, and uh, those have been coming up in screens a lot, and I and I, I've I've written about this a lot in um, the weekly columns. But now it, we've there, there seem to be a lot more interesting companies coming through, which display characteristics which suggest they do have a kind of genuine market advantage and some of them may be cyclicals but they do also have a kind of um a, a stronger growth story underpinning them and and a lot of the, those companies have seen their growth story actually improve during lockdown because um they've um they've been these kind of lockdown winners as they they've become termed so um in the stock screen I was writing last week, there was one called Clipper Logistics, which is um, a company which does a lot of um, e-fulfillment uh, logistics work. And it's um, seen its business like take off over, over lockdown in a way that um, should kind of continue um, a kind of long-term growth trend going forward. Or, or could do, you know, that, that, that would be, that's a um, bull argument. Uh, the screens have started to look, quite a bit more interesting in terms of um, that output. That's true. But there's also, I mean, there's also a feeling that markets are pretty frothy at the moment, particularly particularly over in the US. You know, we have this so-called stonk phenomenon. You talked about, you talked about a dash for trash, but the dash for trash took on a whole new 
form in the US with the GameStop saga. I mean, you know, yeah, the, when, when, you, when you talk about value, you know, are we talking about, you know, good companies that, that have had a little bit of a hard time or are we talking about real trash? I, I, I get a bit confused by what people are, are, are calling value these days. Yeah, no, no, I, I think it's confusing as well. Um, and I mean, also, there, there are a lot of reasons to question the fundamental um, basis uh, on which we value companies. And we're, we're publishing a feature that um, I've, I've been writing, which will look in detail at you know, why a lot of the traditional measures of value look really outdated at the moment. Um, but yeah, no, the, the, I, I think... Um, I mean, it, it, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to say exactly what's going on in markets all, always. But um, with those kind of, with the game stonk and the stonk stocks or whatever we're calling them, I mean, and, and you know, in, in the UK, we saw um, uh, companies like Cineworld um, kind of, and Pearson rising a lot, which is actually probably more to do with short, short covering. Short covering, yeah, exactly. But um, this is, is they're kind of like very specific. Um, and... Um, I know some people argue it's kind of like um, it could be a problem for the wider market. Um, but I, I mean, in, in terms of the type of stocks being highlighted by stock screens, because they're not fishing in that really dirty, you know, the reason why you have quality filters on them is so, a lot of the time, especially if they're kind of um, uh, value stock screens. The reason why you have quality filters is to try and keep it away from those kind of really dirty, heavily indebted, moribund kind of um stocks and so um what what you see through the um lens of a stock screen often is um something you know think far more sensible ideas coming out rather than like you know the really horrible stuff i mean i there, there are a few stock screens which i run which intentionally try and go down to that dirty end of the market where you're you know trying to you know find stocks which are a horrible state but just doing a tiny bit better would um, justify a massive increase in the share price. But um, in generally, the stock screens um, kind of, you know, try and be sensible. Yeah, makes sense. Um, I mean, one of the one of the factors that that you've already mentioned uh, that we know is has been a massive um, driver of share prices over the last couple of years is momentum. Um, <laughs> my 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 worry about momentum is always that at some point it stops. And and being in you know on the right side of things when when momentum comes to an end is something that I've always struggled to understand how investors keep on top of. I mean, what, what how do you how do you see playing momentum? How do you think people should go about playing momentum? I mean, it it, it can be dangerous. Yeah, um, I mean, the, the thing with momentum is, um, yeah, you have to you have to know what you're dealing with. It's normally best to kind of factor it into um, you know other. Um, Factored in with 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 other kind of criteria. Um, when momentum, when I mean momentum is basically hopping on a trend. It works best when it's a trend which um, kind of continues for a long time, and inevitably with those kind of trends, that leads to overvaluation and um, some kind of peak and collapse. I mean, the collapse isn't inevitable in terms of how it happens, but it can feel quite crash-like. Um, so that, that's, yeah, you're, you're dicing with that. If you're, um, you know, if, if, if you go into momentum strategies, all gun, guns blazing, and it's a, a risk that, um, you know, it, you're taking on, you have to know you're taking, 
taking it on. And that that seems to be the big problem with what with what's going on in the US that that, that people are just buying buying instruments where the price are going up because the prices are going up and that is pretty much the end of the strategy that, that feels like a recipe recipe for disaster yeah i mean I, I think i think you know if you if you get to um really pivotal moments um in markets so um for example you know the dot-com boom is something people have been drawing parallels with a lot and i, I kind of find them fairly dubious but um uh um, but I mean, not not necessarily for the you know, I find them dubious, but not necessarily in a way which contradicts the point you're making. Actually, I should say, but um, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at what happened with them, um, you know, then you basically yeah, you had this herding into this kind of like you know, completely nonsensical um, you know investment proposition that you you know you put dot com after your name. And you know you're you know you're you're suddenly gold, and um, yeah, when when momentum turned, then there was you know it's just like it was catastrophic because um, they you know there was one type of stock which had been doing all the running, and then that one type of stock stock suddenly completely tanked. But I guess um, in terms of what we'd be looking at uh, this time round, if we we're saying you know momentum is you know dangerous, it'd be things like um, well you know tech, clean energy. Those kind of things which have really, um, you know, gone to the moon, you know, Bitcoin. If you're if you're playing that market, um, but in in terms of the actual on the stock side, away from Bitcoin, um, a lot of, a lot of the trends which we've seen are backed by huge amounts of growth and huge amounts of opportunities, which are tangible in those areas. So, um, you know, there there is the danger of sentiment turning and a lot of the stocks being, you know, really flattened. But um, it's Perhaps not as senseless as um, uh, is, is it the comparison, uh, you know, would necessarily make it seem. I maybe maybe not university. I think there may be pockets of senselessness, but um... yeah. And I, I think if you're playing, if you're playing those pockets, you know, buyer beware. I mean, I think you know, if you're if you're jumping aboard GameStop, um, I mean, regardless of what you know, the intention is behind these. Um, Groups which are organising um, the buying of these stocks, you're essentially because there isn't any fundamental value there um, in a game st- in, in in the company, um, or there's not much. There's a crook, you know, who's organising it. You know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking the Wolf of Wall Street boiler room type operation. So traditionally, there's a winner who's the person who's got everyone in, who then sells and then leaves everyone else to pick up the pieces. I don't know what the motivation is with the recent ones. But um, they're just a lot of a lot of losers with them because if you, if you keep on buying above the actual you know what's fundamentally justified, um, what, what's a fundamentally justified value for that share by the actual company that, the, that has issued the share? If you keep on buying above that level, there's no support when the market falls. It's like no one wants those shares. It's like you know they're bought on hype, and once the hype's gone, there's nothing left. Mm. Well, thankfully, we we uh, we tend to focus on a, a more sedentary uh, end of the market. <coughs> Perhaps one of the most sedentary uh, ends. Well, it hasn't been that sedentary over the past twelve months. Is the uh, the world of investment trusts? Now they are uh, almost as invo- uh, as old as the Investors Chronicle, um, but but they are going strong. Um, I think I think recently, Algie, you wrote something about um, a, a number of investment trusts that had doubled in value this year. Yeah, no, no, we had we had an amazing year um, last year. Um, the number did va- double in value. Um, 
Most of them from Bailey Gifford, I hasten to add. Um, I think it's ba- Bailey Gifford, um, U- uh, US Growth and Pacific Horizon, which Bailey Gifford also runs. And Scottish Mortgage. Don't forget Scottish, Scottish Mortgage. Um, I don't think Scottish Mortgage, did Scottish Mortgage double? Yeah, I think, it, I think it did. I think it did. Um, so, 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 I mean, you know, these, these investment trusts, they are heavily exposed to, to those areas that we've, we've, we've said uh, perhaps getting a bit frothy. Yeah. I mean, just, just let's rewind a little bit in the last five minutes. Um, so, so you mentioned earlier, you, you, you know, investment trust was your, your investment passion. Why is that? Uh, why, and why, why do you think they've proved so enduring and, and so adaptable, you know, particularly Bailey Gifford to these new, new big trends? I mean, I, I, I should say I started out writing about investment trusts kind of, you know, oh, you know, tw- um, almost 25 years ago, actually. Hard now. to believe, Algie. For a newsletter called the Investment Trust Newsletter. And I've, I've, I've come to them ever since. Um, <clears throat> but um, I think they're the, just the perfect vehicle for, for active managers, basically. Um, they kind of, they, they shut out a lot of the, um, a lot of the influences which um, have been shown to, uh, make active manager managers underperform in op- open-ended funds, um, especially things like fund flows and um, you know the, the the career risk due to very short-term judgments on what's um, on what's going on. And they also provide oversight from a board, which, if done right, can be a real help to an active manager. So I think you know they, they're just like this tr- terrific vehicle for effectively insulating an active manager from. Um, pressures which mean that they're less likely to perform well and they're less less likely to be truly active um they've also got certain kind of characteristics because they're um funds which are set up as companies and which they can exploit such as taking on debt to um you know buy shares in um, when you know when when time when times are exceptionally good and taking out hedges sometimes you know if they've got if the articles of association allow it when times look bad um and then also what makes them really exciting, I think, for um, investors is that you have um, the discount, which the shares trade at, to the net asset value. Um, I mean, that, it, it, this is a risk um, because sometimes those discounts can widen and they do when markets crash, which is like makes them quite painful to hold through um, bad markets. But those discounts also narrow. So, you know, for investors who really like them and look at them actively, Looking at situations where a discount shows the potential to um, narrow can be really um, exciting and um, really profitable. And um, the column I write kind of uses that as one of its um, kickoff points in terms of highlighting investment trusts. So, I mean, I, I, but I, I think that you know they are um, excellent vehicles for active management. Also, they're you know they're, they're popular, rightfully in my opinion. With um, private investors and retail investors becoming a bigger and bigger proportion of the market, um, there is something else actually about them which is always really exciting: is that they're activist investors that get involved, and you can spot the activists quite easily from looking at the share registers. And the activists are um, people who buy investment trusts, which they believe are on too wide a discount. Maybe they believe there are reasons for the underperformance. Of, of the trust, which could be rectified. Um, and they really get stuck in and, um, and they make change happen quite often, which can um, lead to quite substantial discount narrowing and performance improvements, sometimes changes in managers, things like that. And that is 
another layer of excitement which um, investment trusts provide. So uh, in, in terms of the report that I'm writing, those are all kinds of factors which feed into um, my analysis of the, of the um, trusts, which um, the screen that we use to identify promising trusts throws up. So, 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 what are you looking for in in this screen? What what, what are we what are we hoping to find, to find out of this? Um, what, what what characteristics of trust are, are we trying to pull out here? We we just look at the in terms of the actual strategy. Um, it just all it does is that it looks for a um, a discount that um, looks wide compared to the one the one year range of the of, of the uh, of the discount premium valuation. Uh, and then it looks for um, strong share, uh, three months share price momentum. And it's just ranking firms. It's ranking trusts on a combination of those two factors. So it couldn't be easier. Um, there's also I, I also have some rules around, you know, how um, it selects 10 trusts, which um, uh, which are fairly boring. But um, but work. but I mean, the, the thing is, um, I, I, because, because there's a readiness of data. For analysing this, from uh, I, 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 I was very lucky that um, a broker called Winterflood Securities was kind enough to give me a lot of historic data, which I can match up with, um, uh, with data from what's now called Refinitiv or Thomson uh, Data Stream. Um, I was a, I've been able to um, back test the, str- the screen like really properly um, to see how well it works, and um, I, so I've, I've got. I'm going to give you figures from um, the last time we did an alpha report, which was the 18th of um, January, I think. But anyway, from from mid from mid um, 2004 to January, the um, the system produced a cumulative total return based on annual reshuffles of 824 percent, and that compares with 208 um, percent from the FTSE All Share. Which you know, so it's come completely crushed the um, the, the all share. But obviously, we know the MSCI World Index did a lot better, but um, it only did four hundred twenty-one percent. So um, the MSCI World Index's total return was, um, you know, only a tiny bit better than half the return from um, the system using to identify um, uh, identified investment trusts in the Alpha report. Shame, shame, shame! These aren't off-the-shelf portfolios, Algie, because that is a that is a tremendous performance. <laughs> well, yeah, it is. But t- let me let me tell you though. Also, um, uh, the, the drawdown, the drawdowns, uh, you know, have have been painful when um, because you've got that discount widening aspect. The drawdowns from the strategy have been really painful when markets have crashed. So, um, if you were using it as an off-the-shelf portfolio. Then you do have the psychological issue that try holding when you know markets are down. If you look to the trust and you're and you think, well, that one actually could have a place in my portfolio, and I do think there's a credible story there. I, I'm going to fit that in, uh, you know, in my in in my portfolio that I'm co- I'm comfortable with here. Then you know, if the markets do crash, you won't be stuck with ten stocks and going jeepers, what you know what. <laughs> on here actually do i even understand you know how this strategy is working this is like awful you know i've been a fool i'm going to sell it all you know before the market suddenly shoots back up so um yeah you, there's you know the the, the i you know you, you you can make you can look at you can look at whether producers value by using this kind of analysis but i would say do not be confused by that and what's going to go on in your own head if you try and just implement a um stock screen for your own personal investments, it's gonna, 
it's going to really mess with your mind. The value, the value is the value that those numbers give is that we're, gen, we're generating interesting ideas from this screen, and they're worth looking at. Um, it's I, I would say you know it's not unless you could get someone to wrap it into a portfolio for you and then have it as kind of like you know it's something you didn't look at. Then um, I, I'd say you know you don't want to pay you know attention to those figures in terms of thinking right. I'm going to run this portfolio myself, unless you're completely spock like in your approach to investing. Well, Angie, Angie we could always point readers and uh, listeners uh, in the direction of your uh, your big psychological piece uh, from last year. Same your brain. Um, if uh, you know if, if if you want to know how to manage your your thought processes, that that is the piece. Although, having said that, of course, these things can easily be written about and are much easier said than done. Um, yeah, yeah. No, no it's, it takes a bit of work to be a good, um, beha- you know, to be good a good beha- Spock. <laughs> Algie, that's been absolutely fantastic talking to you uh, as usual. Um, I'd encourage Thank you all you. to go and read the last uh, Alpha report, which is best best of British. Am I right? Yes. Yeah. Um, the last Alpha report was by British. I think we called it. Um, uh, and and it was, I mean, in terms of what's been going on recently with um, takeovers um, and the renewed interest in um, UK companies, um, I mean, I, it, it seems to, you know, it, it, it very. I, I mean, obviously, it, it's a very short space of time, so we can't judge it. But um, there was some prescience uh, <laughs> in what the screen was flashing up, at least, um, you know, over the over the month. And and actually, the UK. Um, it started to become a theme uh, some, sometime last year, probably around October, um, and um, and it coincided with um, you know the way the UK has suddenly started to become come back onto investors' radars. So um, the, the the report does highlight interesting themes over and above what it does highlighting trusts. Mm. Um, Interesting, you mentioned M and A there as a UK theme. Um, we're seeing we're seeing a flurry. Have UK companies mm-hmm. been snapped up? Something we're looking at in uh, in the magazine this week. Um, but yeah, I think I think you're right. The UK coming back in fashion. Who'd have thought? Wait, it? Can you believe it? Can yeah, you believe? Can it? you believe it? Uh, Algie, brilliant yeah. speaking to you. Um, and let's catch up again uh, soon. Uh, and thank you everyone for listening. Thanks, Algie. Thank you. A massive pleasure. Thanks. Bye. See you later. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.